Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. So, all right, let's do this. Uh, do you pronounce your last name Muth or Muth? You nailed it. Muth, okay. Like youth with an M. Right on. All right, so Boomer Muth, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. Excited to be here. We're this is one of my favorite podcasts. One of your favorite? One of. Yes. How many favorite podcasts do you have? I mean, this is the only one I listen to regularly. Wow. Yeah. But you're not a, a massive uh, consumer of podcasts. I'm not Roger Lee. I noticed you had someone on just because they were the one that had listened to every one of your podcasts. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you the caliber of, uh, of your guest, I don't feel worthy now. Like I was just listening to... Caroline Slaughter, I saw you had uh, Willie Grenier, a football player, professional football player, yeah. a, a basketball coach. Like When you started, you just had a dude that likes to hunt, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can fit in that, this that, podcast. That, that, <laughs> that's, that's a shout out to Andrew Walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's all been Paul. He's been like really hustling on uh, calling up oh, people. I mean, these guests are amazing, and the stories are great, and the new name of the podcast is just kick-ass. So you guys are going in the right direction. Appreciate that. Yeah. Quite a lot. So I guess we should say that, Boomer, you and I work together. That's your connection to this podcast. It is. Yeah. You've been my boss. Uh, yes, during, but, but I learned a lot more from you than you I, learned I from me. Well, yeah. sure. We'll, we'll call it 50-50. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it was during the pandemic. Absolutely. It was a rough start to the uh, the year last year. But you know what? And I told you this when it was happening. We're going to look back on this fondly. And I already look back on it fondly. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how life works that way. Oh, this is the worst thing to ever happen. Man, that was fun. Yeah. You know, your perspective was, is everything. It wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that bad at all. It sure felt like it a couple <laughs> couple moments during the pandemic. But yeah. Exactly. We're, yeah. we're on the other side. All right, cool. So we're going to talk about a lot of things tonight. And I think typically we'll start with... You growing up, you grew up in the Richmond area. Uh, no, well, I grew up, my dad was in construction, so traveled a lot. Uh, great parents. I had one of the luckiest childhoods ever. Just both super loving, very intentional about raising me. I mean, you can see it in, in my name's Boomer, but uh, my dad actually wanted to name me Muggs. <laughs> Boomer's a better name. Thanks. My, uh, my mom, luckily, she, she jumped in and goes, no, not Muggs. And he said, well, how about Boomer? I'm just imagining this is the conversation, yeah. and she and she said, uh, "Yeah, Boomer's fine." But see, what he did there is a great negotiation tactic. It's called an extreme anchor, mm. right? And he said, "I'm going to go really far this way, so that if I go here, you'll be okay with it." But he he kind of had the hypothesis that a name is can build confidence, so people remembering your name gives you a lot more confidence. Mm. So I appreciate him and my mom just being intentional about everything. So I was very lucky, very privileged. Never had to worry about anything. Um, but a unique childhood in the sense that I think my dad and mom had this philosophy that uh, I'm just going to talk to you like an adult. Mm. And I'm going to treat you like an adult. And I'm not going to baby talk you. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. And so um, I know one story we talked about me sharing with you. So I'll just jump into it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this is kind of representative of my dad's style, which was... Um, you know, the truth. And I uh, had lost a tooth. And it, it's weird. I, I thought I had put it under my pillow, but we had had like friends over, my parents' friends over, and somehow the tooth got lost somehow. Or, but I thought it was under the pillow. 
when I went to bed. But I woke up, and there was no tooth under the pillow, and there was no dollar either because they would always leave a dollar. And so whole day, I'm like, what the hell happened? You know, what, what happened with the tooth fairy? And we go to dinner that night. We go to our favorite pizza place. It's called Rocky Rococo's. And uh, this is in the Chicago area. And we're sitting at dinner. You know, I'm, I'm five years old, by the way. My sister's three. And I can remember it. And my mom and dad are there. And we're eating pizza. And my dad goes, you know, I had a friend when I was a kid. He lost his tooth. And the tooth fairy came. And the tooth wasn't there. And so the tooth fairy bit his ear off. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm thinking, man, this, this, this isn't good. I mean, I'd still, I'd still have the other ear, but uh, I don't really want to lose an ear over this. Mm-hmm. And so I start crying, which is what a five-year-old would At do. At the pizza right? place? At oh. the pizza place. So, how embarrassing, right? <laughs> you, you, may, you may lose an ear if you're not At careful. The pizza. I got Daniel's like, At the pizza place? <laughs> yeah. like, it's not traumatic already. It's, uh, you cried at the pizza you place as a five-year-old. <laughs> how embarrassing. How embarrassing. So I, I start uh, crying. And my dad, you know, he, he could have had some solutions like, hey, I just made that up. Um. But instead, he, he took it as a moment to say, son, let's go outside. And so my mom, my sister eating pizza, we go out into the car in the parking lot. And he sits me down in the car and he goes, son, I, I want to let you know there's no tooth fairy. I said, okay. Well, this resolves the whole ear thing. Yeah, you don't have to worry yeah, about the ear anymore. don't have yeah. to worry about the ear anymore. So I put two and two together. I guess I was pretty bright as a five-year-old. I said, okay, so what, what about the Easter Bunny? He said, no Easter Bunny. How about, how about Santa Claus? No Santa Claus. Ooh. I'm like, okay. Was well, done. I got it. None of these, none of these anymore. I just realized I'm going to have to wait. My, uh, we're going to have a child in two months. And the purpose of this was for my child to listen to Don't it. Don't let her so listen to it. Till I'm she, not going to let her listen to it till she's like <laughs> five years old. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so I find that out and he goes, okay, let's go back in, finish our pizza. We go back in and, uh, it's not over. Right. So we finish our dinner. We go back home. And I guess my dad just says, like, hey, let's, he's a man now. So he was on a roll. He was on a roll. And he said, son, let's go upstairs. So we go up in the bedroom. He sits me down in his bed. I remember it so distinctly. And he, he proceeds to tell me all about sex. No way. Yeah, everything about it. And I mean, this was in the time of, uh, you know, this would have been 1984, and so AIDS was a thing then. Right. I remember him describing AIDS to me. He just went went for the whole thing. Um, He's just knocking it all out in one knocking night. Knocking it all out, man. And, uh, you yeah, know, I guess the moral of the story is you lose a tooth, you become a man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah, that, that was uh, that's just representative of – and I, I am not upset about that at all. I, I'm, I'm yeah. actually quite thankful. And I remember even friends growing up would say things about – sex and uh i would remember that conversation and be like i don't think that's right <laughs> you were an, ex- you were an expert <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're still trying to figure it out like, i've known this for years yeah yeah so i mean uh childhood for me was um was awesome i think one thing my parents both did is uh taught me persistence you know i know they they always and i got by example by my dad he um he actually got diagnosed by with ms when i was really young and he was in a wheelchair when I was really young. And, and he, he got in remission about it a year later. Yeah. Um, and so he was just always a fighter. 
Uh, you know, later in life, he got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, beat that too. And I, I think m both my mom and my dad just really put this idea of just never give up and you know, just always stay persistent and, um, and tell the truth. And so I, I, I feel very lucky. Uh, childhood was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Especially the uh, treating you like, you know, who you're going to be, treating you like an adult rather than who you are as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Did he want the name Boomer all along? Is that what he was doing? I think he wanted mugs. Really? <laughs> but, but, but his backup was fine. Actually, every time we had a dog, he would try to name it mugs. <laughs> I totally thought, I thought all this time that Boomer was a, a nickname, like your real name was John or Henry or something. My real name is Richard, but... Uh, ah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I apologize. I thought you grew up in Richmond. I know you went to high school in uh, Yeah, Richmond I went area. to high school in Richmond. Yeah, but but yeah. you you spent time in Chicago, anywhere else before you guys came? Uh, yeah, I was born in Albany, Georgia, then Kentucky, Maine, Chicago. Oh, wow. And then Richmond once I was nine or ten. So what do you call the rest What do you call home? You call Richmond, it Richmond home. Yeah, yeah, Richmond, yeah. So, yeah. All right, nice. Yeah. But it's funny, childhood definitely defines who you are, and, yeah. which is why I'm so worried having a kid. Like, I can just... F stuff up, yeah. you know, and not even know it sometimes. I know, I know the stuff that you're going to remember. Mm. Um, when's your When's your kid due? June fifth, so two and a half months. Oh, geez, that's coming yeah. up. Yeah, I'm getting excited. My wife and I are really pumped. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, another thing my dad did is he made math fun. Uh, hmm. So I remember, I remember my sister and me like sitting in the bathtub with him. That's how young we are, right? And he would do like little math games with us. When I got to school, like I knew all the math your dad was completely in the math yeah well he was an engineer too he oh, went to school it. in engineering and, yeah. and he loved math and he just he he made reading and uh and my mom too they both made reading fun my dad really liked the math part and he made it fun for me and my sister she's also an engineer major oh wow and uh so when i got to school it was like yeah math was fun what was that? what's your sister's name courtney it's nothing like mugs or boomer. No, I don't know why they did that. But I remember when she was a little kid, she said, I want everybody to call me BB. And uh, it didn't stick. But I think <laughs> it was just because she had her brother with a fun nickname. Yeah. Um, so you were a mathlete. I ended up being a mathlete. How, do how does one become a mathlete? Um, I got hand selected to be, because <laughs> they thought I was really cool. Um, no, they... Uh, I was doing good in the math classes. Yeah. And then in Virginia, they had, like, each school had you know, these math. It started in middle school. And they said, well, do you want to try these math competitions? And you'd go up against other schools. It was like Battle of the Brains type thing. And then they actually had a coach that they brought into the school. Hmm. And the coach was would teach me and the team of uh, four other people. We would just do complex math problems. And it was problem-solving things, speed things. And then you go in and you end up, the competition is like a test and then a speed round as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I made the team as a seventh grader, and usually it was just eighth graders. Um, and I ended up, I don't, I'm, I, it sounds like I'm bragging, it was not really bragging. I ended up being 14th in the state. Nice. And as a seventh grader, which was. Um, you had to be the wow. highest seventh grader, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next year, I was the captain of the math team, and my sister was on the team as a seventh grader. So, oh, so um, she's right behind you. Yeah, just yeah. just two years behind. So, yeah, that's not that exciting. So, uh, I discovered music after the math thing. I realized that you don't get a lot of girls being a math lead. <laughs> um, 
And then I discovered music, which was really cool. I feel like I'm doing all the talking. Yeah, it's all good. There's a uh, there's a lot of math in music too, right? There's a lot. Did of that math appeal to music. you about music, or, um, or what? What really drew you to music? So, I had a friend who uh, I think was a good leader and inspiring, and he knew I was singing. I was in chorus. And I remember he was sleeping over, and he goes, we could be rock stars. <laughs> and, and he just had this story and this vision for us being the Beatles. You know, We were really into the Beatles and listening to music together. It's probably eighth grade. And uh, he said, we could be rock stars. And he just got, he said it in a way where I was just convinced that, yeah. He's kind of like me with star. the pod. He's kind of like me with the podcast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and you hear it, and you're like, yeah, this, I like this vision. So uh, we recruited a couple other guys who also didn't know how to play instruments yet, and the four of us decided we were going to be a band. Just before anybody had Before anybody could play anything. And so all of us learned our instruments, and we became a band. Is like that the same band, band that you, like you guys went to college together? Uh, part, you... Partially. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys in the band... Um, it ended up we ended up starting another band with other guys and it ended up being the band yeah. that went to college but it was that was my first proof in if you decide you're going to do something and then you just practice like practice music uh, one of the greatest gifts i think for me was practice i would have never become an entrepreneur if it wasn't for music hmm. um because it gives you that confidence of wow this is overwhelming i don't know how to play a single note and now I'm going to do it slowly. And each day, I mean, is a little bit more. And I remember just being really frustrated that I was so far away from it, but just saying I'm never going to give up. Yeah. And um, you know, we we did really well in high school. Um, we were, uh, you know, we'd always win the battle of the bands because we did kind of this classic rock thing. We play Cream and. Uh, you know, Beatles, it's and hard to lose Zeppelin, and yeah. Pink Floyd, and the people voting at Battle of the Bands are uh, parents. So, how long? How long would you say it took before you guys were winning Battle of the Band? I'm sure for a while it sounded. Oh, I remember great. our first show ever that there were people in the audience like doing the thumbs down <laughs> sign, and like we were we played the Smashing Pumpkins song, and it was just god awful. Like, but and you I had the, remember, you had the guts to be out there. It's awesome. I remember being kind of embarrassed, but saying, "Nah, we're good." Like, in my head, I was like, no, we're good. Nice. They're wrong. You know, they're wrong. And and we ended up being good. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, uh, that, that was a great experience, yeah. Yeah, and there's singers out there that, like, you that you just don't think are good singers, but they have this confidence, like, the energy about them that makes you just think, wow, what a great band. What a great singer. Even that if, is true. Even that if is. they're, like, you know, they aren't technically very good. So I, I never got that. I never got the performing aspect. I just tried to, like, get the voice right. Well, you were vocals, right? And then you also vocals played... and and bass and then guitar. And uh, you know, one thing that happened is we we played so much music in high school that uh, we decided I chose my school because of the band. I think I told you. Yeah, you told me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I liked math, so I knew I wanted to get an engineering degree. The only school I applied to was Virginia Tech because the other three guys in the band agreed that that they would go to Virginia. Everybody's Tech. going to Tech. Nice. Everybody's going to Tech, and uh, we spent. Uh, and then once we got into tech, we it, it really took off. We were playing frats every weekend, and uh, you know 
had people actually coming to every show. Yeah. Or, you know. You had groupies. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. 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 I mean, as, as I mean, we weren't huge, but, <laughs> you know, as far as uh, the Virginia Tech and UVA scene, we were doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but took a year of college off and just toured up and down the East Coast. Wow. Opened opened for quite a few cool bands. And we opened for Train and um, The Strokes. Wow. And, uh, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. That's uh, cool. That's cool yeah, as that's, shit. Yeah. So let's back up. What was the first band's name? Uh, the first band that... The very first band was called Elysian Fields. Okay. That was the one where we said we're going to become a band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one didn't really take off. That was the one where we were playing shows, and you know, you could just tell people. Those were the thumbs down. Those were the thumbs down. Yeah, and then uh, the band was called Copper Sales. But I'll tell you what. Uh, one other lesson I learned with the band thing was, I remember walking down the hall in high school and seeing the sign, and we would always post signs. Right, we wanted you to come to the battle of the bands to yeah, come yeah. see our band. And someone taken it said copper sales and they crossed out the sales and they wrote sucks. And I was like, you know, it was this feeling of like, okay, copper sucks. Now I thought it was just that one sign, but <laughs> every single sign oh, there crossed oh, it. Somebody like, was really invested in that. <laughs> Man. So it, but it was that good perseverance lesson of, you know, if you believe in yourself, it, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Persistence and belief. Yeah. Did that get you down at all? Or did you feel bad but just kept going anyway when you saw all those? He he learned about the birds and bees when he's five. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, probably. uh, I think so. But I think I I rationalized it and said, that person's jealous. Yeah, it's probably just some jealous kid. I mean, I made up a story in my head that it was like a rival band. And maybe it was. I mean, who? It probably was. Like, why would you. I think if it was just one sign, I would have been more hurt. If it since it was every sign, I'm like, oh, they were planned. on a mission. Yeah. yeah, everybody wants to knock number one down. That's what that was. I think that's what the way I rationalized yeah. in my oh, head. Oh, I've yeah. rationalized a million things that way <laughs> in my life. You just try to knock number one off his perch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The haters, you get energy from the haters. Haters gonna hate, hate, hate. That's hate, right. Hate. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So you you chose tech. You could have gone. A lot of places, right? You had good grades. You had a lot of extracurriculars. You did well in the SATs. Yeah. And and you chose Virginia Tech because that's where your bandmates were committed to go. I was going to be a rock star, Paul. <laughs> you kind of were. I mean, open, like yeah. the Strokes are one of my favorite bands of all time. That's that's awesome. Did you get to did meet? You, did you not hear? We Hootie, did. Yeah. Did you not hear Hootie and the Blowfish? They're a much bigger deal than the, the Strokes. I, think. I, no, I actually don't. Not, I haven't listened no, to much no, Hootie and the, the Strokes. I mean, it depends. Are you talking about album sales or artistic? Ooh. Yeah, like. The Strokes, yeah, their latest. I mean, they're still making they're still great going. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm most proud of opening for The Strokes. I mean, we opened for Kansas way past their paid A-Day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Leonard Skinner, you know. So <laughs> nice. we opened for a lot of bands after they were washed up, and they came through town. It was like, throw copper sails on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's still fun, though, right? Oh, it was a blast. I mean, I and I still play music. Yeah. And, and I actually love it more now than I ever have because it's a hobby now. Like, I, then it was... Then it was my job. It was like, I'm going to be a rock star. And we didn't give up till we were 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were making albums. I mean, we recorded five albums. We really went for it uh, right before we were 30. It's probably why I didn't become a full-time entrepreneur right. sooner. It's because I still had this dream of being a rock star until... But rock stars are entrepreneurs, too, in some ways. For sure, yeah. yeah. We, had, we were running a business. Yeah. There's marketing. There's, um, you know... There's performing. Sales, yeah performing yeah. executing all the time 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I feel very lucky. I mean, as I'm talking about this, I'm like, shit, I'm a fucking lucky guy. Can you say that for it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So you, I, I'm not you... sure you want your uh, 10 year old daughter hearing about Santa and hearing the F bomb from dad, but. I think the F word will be fine. I heard that young. Yeah, I was going to say, well, well, and the F bomb, my dad reminds me, my dad's the same age as your dad, and he'll say, yeah, it's going to be like the word the soon yeah Mm. Yeah, we're probably close to that yeah we're not we're probably five years away did you guys ever think about how it's these emotions and thoughts that you have as a kid like i can tell you that i thought that when i was five and that was okay but how come as we get older these emotions are just not allowed anymore we get weird Yeah. yeah we get inside our own head way too much there's these rules now about what you can feel where do the rules come from I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Society built it over generation and generation, what, 80,000 years now? Yeah. Um, man, we want to talk about mental health on this. And uh, yeah, it's it, it gets harder. Thinking about being healthy with your mind uh, and your emotions gets tougher as you get older. Yeah. Not all the time. Uh, there are certainly times where I don't feel that sort of pressure and, and weirdness about my mental health, but it's... Uh, I mean, you could argue I'm doing this because my mental health isn't perfect. So for those uh, who are listening, he raised his glass, a which contains whiskey. That he's now about to sip on. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was that was a good voice, what you just did there, by the way. Um, what did I do? Good Good in what way, Daniel? It was more of like an ASMR voice than a regular voice. Uh. It's just the way <laughs> that you said that. I'm still confused by this whole ASMR so, thing. I don't even notice. I think it's like a long, complicated acronym. But so, so I feel like I'm just to reiterate. So when you're feeling things at the age of five, uh, you just feel them and it's okay. And they're just, you're just, yeah, you that. don't tell yourself, oh, I can't feel this. But now, but when you're older as an adult, you feel any a type of way. Uh, and then you tell yourself, I can't, this is not allowed. And you're hard on yourself. And then it starts that. Is you that, that what you're, you described it way better than I did. And that comes from, yeah. And I guess the conversation is where that comes from. Like why? How why? come all of a sudden? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you think most people are hard on themselves? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, or or they drown it out somehow. But mm. I feel really lucky. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who who I think fight how they feel and you know beat themselves up. But mm-hmm. uh, I I feel lucky and I, I'm thankful to my parents too. I think, I think a lot of a lot of that. Um, yeah, and now granted, I think a lot of it's chemical too. But mm-hmm. I'm no mental health expert. Yeah. But but I do think that even those that consider themselves super healthy, mentally, uh, do that. But I also think mental health is uh, something that you also have to be intentional about. Just like everything, like physical yeah. health, you have to be intentional about. Um, Recently, I have a friend, actually, the co-founder of the company, um, who Paul knows well, who he made this post, and he's very into stoicism, and um, actually, I think he's going to be interviewed, Rob Finnegan. Right on. Um, And he's very into stoicism, and he made this post the other day on Facebook, and he talked about how the truth comes in figuring out how to not do and it was from the Tao Te Ching, and I probably misquoted it, but it's this mm. whole concept of not doing, and I think it's getting even harder in society to not do. 
And I thought about that a lot, you know, and particularly as an entrepreneur, like your whole thing is like, we have to do all the time. Mm. And I realized that creates a lot of stress and anxiety. So, uh, you know, through his inspiration, I've, I've started to meditate every morning. Oh. And uh, it's just good. Yeah, it's really I, good. And I think that's part of the intentionality around mm. mental health. Yeah, it's, um, it reminds me of this, like, uh, there's a stimulus and then there's a response, but in between there's a space, and in that space lies everything. Have you heard that quote? I haven't, but I like it. Is, I think, is that kind of more what, what uh, Rob was referring to, or is it more about, like, I guess, the, the busyness of our culture, like, always being on. If you're doing something and it's not directly producing and adding to your net worth or like investing in some way, then it's like, stop doing it. Well, that's when you're hard on yourself. For me, I'm hardest on myself when I feel like what I'm doing in that moment is not productive. Um, And I think, I think a lot of people are that way. I was just listening to your Caroline uh, Slaughter and she was talking about how, uh, you know, people are focused right now. I thought it was really interesting focusing on enlightenment or finding answers. Right. And a lot of it's because we are stuck with our thoughts. And particularly over the last 20 years, as, as technology has become so pervasive, we've been able to avoid our own thoughts. Mm. And uh, I think when you avoid it and then you get it, you're, you, know, you don't know what to do with it. So avoiding our own thoughts, you mean like the via technology, you mean like technology offers a distraction yeah. from our own minds yeah. a lot? Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that. Yeah. Are yeah. you still taking the cold showers? Cold showers in the morning. Are you yeah. really? And I think that's part of the intentionality nice. around, yeah. around mental health too. And physical health, there's a lot of physical benefits too. Um, so yeah, the three minute cold shower every morning and I never want to do it. Um, you do it too, right, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, so I used to do uh, jujitsu in the mornings and then I would come home and go straight to the cold shower and I had my routine built. Uh, but I stopped going to jujitsu because of COVID um, about a month or two ago. And so I've fallen off. I've fallen off the wagon. I'm not doing oh, really? it every morning. Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. I still do it. I still do it cold, but like, or sometimes I do it lukewarm, but um, yeah, I got to get back into it. I used to do, there's like jujitsu, cold shower, and then meditate. I use uh, Sam Harris's meditation app. I don't know oh, if you've okay. heard of him. No, yeah. I have a friend who's really into Sam Harris. Yeah. 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 He's the man. Uh, uh, and he's like done a lot of work in that, in that space. So but yeah, uh, I love it, man. And then when the day starts uh, after that routine, it's like, it's awesome, man. You know, having done all that. Well, and then also it's this thing that you don't want to do. And it's, I, it happens every morning for me is I'll be, I'll say, you know what? I'm just going to do a minute because I, I don't really feel it. And then you get a minute and it's like, oh, I think I can do another minute. And then you're like, oh, I'm already two minutes in. Let me do all three. How do you time it? Like, do you play a song and then know? Count it in my head. And oh, okay. what I found, too, is I, I measured it, uh, my counting. My counting's actually slower than real life. Um, <laughs> That's unfortunate. I guess it's unfortunate. Or, or maybe it's fortunate. Yeah, I don't know. But what I like about the cold shower is it's, um, one, it's a choice of discomfort, which uh, Paul's probably sick of me talking about this. I, I truly believe, you know, comfort is the enemy of, of accomplishment or, or greatness. Mm. And um, so it's every morning I get to start my day with a choice of discomfort. And and that's where growth comes, right? You only grow. No, but there's no stories of people growing yeah. from being comfortable. Oh, that was really easy. I grew so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, we talked about last year. Why is last year so 
why are we already looking at it in fondness? I know not everybody is, but but I am. I mean, and, and I am too. Yeah. And and I think Paul and I were going through some challenging times together, and the fact that we did that together and got through it. Now I'm like I'm so much stronger because Paul taught me a lot of skills and empathy, leadership skills that um, I'm trying to bring to everything I do now. And it's because of that challenge and that discomfort that we went through that you got the chance to even show that. Yeah. And um, so that cold shower every morning, it's that's like that small, discomfort. A small little thing. Act, yeah. Yeah. And you did it. And it is done. And uh, now you can kind of take on the day. And, and every time you do something that's uncomfortable, it never is as bad as you think. And you're always stronger on the other side of it. Truer words have never been spoken, Boomer. I think I right. don't know if that's. I mean, there's more true words, but that. Well, I don't that. think it's any more true than that. I, absolutely, <laughs> I, agree. I, I agree. Like, oh wow, that was really easy. I, I'm so much better off as a as a person for that. You you never are. Yeah, and that's just become my mantra now. That's a solid oh. mantra. Nice man. Well, thank you. Seeking discomfort. Yeah. Well, you're speaking Daniel's language. When I first met Daniel. Uh, who were you listening to, Jocko? I was on a deep. I was on a. He was on a, a for, force tear. pain. Yeah, sort I, was, of thing. I was looking for all kinds of ways to just introduce discomfort and uh, and struggle. suffering. You know, well, I, I think I use the word yeah. suffering to be like, yeah, it's uh, there's this guy David Goggins who is like just this human machine who, when he was like in his in his twenties, he was watching, he was like a 300 pound guy who who worked as an exterminator, and he was. Uh, on his couch eating Mountain Dew and chips uh-huh. and watching uh, the SEAL, Navy SEAL training. Oh, he's wow. like, he's like, I want to do that. And something clicked. And he was like, I'm just, I got to do that. And so the next day That's he got amazing. up and he took like five steps. Oh, this guy's, a, this guy's like unbelievable. Yeah. The physical stuff he puts himself through. Like, and the way he tells it is better than I ever could. But yeah, he takes a, a few steps the first day and he can't do any more because his body just can't, you know, can't handle jogging. And uh, he keeps going and going. Eventually, he becomes like the 30th black seal in history. And he holds the world record for pull-ups, uh, oh like God. consecutive pull-ups. And um, he was eating chips. This dude. <laughs> drinking Mountain Dew. I don't like I would love to just be on the inside of this guy's mind and experience it because to, to him, like suffering is everything. And he's like he, he says the words, I come from suffering. And he's proud oh, of wow. it. And I'm like, for me, I, that just really fired me up. And so that's kind of what Paul and I would talk about a lot uh, in the early days. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, whoa. I, I got to check out this guy. David Goggins, yeah. David Goggins. He'll be on the podcast yeah. someday. Well, it's like, uh, I, I read the book, but it's Frankel, Victor Frankel? Oh, yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Book, uh, I mean, that book's amazing. And just realizing what he went through. Are you familiar with it? No. Um went through the Holocaust, and mm-hmm. he wrote a book about it. I've heard of Viktor Frankl. I yeah. just don't know his it's story. It's just the, the, the perspective on life. And I think it, you just don't realize how good you have it unless you put yourself in the scenario of not having it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Appreciation leads to a lot of good things, too. It does. Yeah. It does. I, I love this whiskey. <laughs> it's good times. All right, so... Uh, you a think, discomfort. Why don't I jump to the... Yeah, do you think uh, divorce makes you stronger, ultimately? For, yeah, divorce made me stronger. Um, so, I'm divorced. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I met actually met uh, my first wife through music when I was uh, 22. Uh, we were opening up for a band called Sister Hazel. Hmm. I don't know if you remember that band. I do. And she happened to be at the show to see Sister Hazel and came to talk to me. 
uh, before the show and uh, fell in love quickly and uh, got married when I was about 27. And, you know, I, I was, and this is my fault, I think I fell in love with who I thought she was and uh, or who probably who I wanted her to be mm. which is super burdensome on her right mm. like it's it's it was it was kind of a selfish thing to do um and we uh talk about discomfort um you know we we gradually kind of grew apart and it started to become like these arguments and sometimes I didn't know where they were coming from and I'm making a long story short, but I'll tell you the yeah. super uncomfortable part was I think discovering that uh, she had started a relationship with somebody else. Um, but I think she was, it, it something had happened where she was starting to just kind of, she was started saying I was cheating on her. And I was like, where is this coming from? Yeah. You know, where's this projection coming from? And eventually something was just not feeling right. And so, I knew I knew her email login. I logged into email and just discovered like all these communications and uh, it's pictures it's, she had sent. Oh. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, one thing that was really showed for me, and actually probably was part of me realizing that I had a part to play in it, because I could easily jump to like a guilt. You're the or, vi- you know, I'm you're the, the you're the victim. Yeah. And and I'd be lying if I said I didn't do a little of that, um, but. I, I found this communication she sent to the guy that said, hey, have you ever heard the song Luckiest by Ben Folds? Um, you should listen to it because that's how I feel about you. And uh, that was exactly verbatim what I had said to her when we were falling in love oh, with each other. Oh, you're kidding me. So she was trying to you know, recreate what we had in the beginning. And I, I don't think I had stayed focused on keeping that. Now, granted, she wasn't the right person. Like, I'm... I have an amazing wife right now. And I had no idea, uh, you know, I wouldn't have even had any idea to to look for the woman that I have right now if I hadn't gone through all this. And that discomfort was just a a super great growing experience for me because it just forced me to say, to be intentional. I keep talking about this intentionality, but it forced me to be intentional about, okay, what, what do I want? And I think these failures are what teach you. You know, nobody ever talks about learning a lot from things just going their way. And so you, you have to have those failures. And I, I think that was probably one of my biggest failures. And it was 10 years, right? Yeah. So 10 years to get that point. Um, so sorry to be a bummer. I no, want this to be it, fun. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So it is, it's part of your story. Yeah, it's yeah. part of my story. I mean, I think that I needed to go through that. But mm-hmm. yeah, you had something, Dan? Just was the whole relationship 10 years or the marriage? Whole relationship, married for uh, four and a half. Okay. The, one of the hardest parts actually is it took two and a half years to get divorced. Once you realize it was over, it still took another two and a half years. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't even know if I should talk about that because then I'll probably start sounding like a victim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like, but know. let me just tell you, you shouldn't get if you are going to get divorced for some reason. Try to avoid getting lawyers involved. That's what would be my it's biggest hard. piece of advice. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, well Daniel's engaged now. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, this is all very. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> Daniel's twenty seven as well. Yeah. Oh, no. Nice. It's um. Yeah. So, and, and it is like a decision. I I only want to have to do this once. So you know, it's uh, it, it obviously nothing ever 
you know, sometimes things don't go to plan, but um, it's something that I'm kind of like shitting my pants about because it's like a huge, uh, it's a huge decision in life. It's a huge step. It's, and I, it, I'm it's equally, arguably one of the biggest you'll ever make. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm tying my fate with somebody else. I'm equally excited as I am nervous about it. You know, it's yeah. like, it's something else. But yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And uh, t- to me, like, you know, divorce is not an option. Uh, I don't want it to be. Um, but like... You, you also need to be happy. I'm not saying that you guys won't be happy for 60 plus years, but yeah, that's right. everybody deserves the right to be happy. Yeah, yeah. So we're, did you also have a kind of mindset like that? Like, I'm getting married and this is it. And like, we're going to freaking, we're going to tough 100%. it out. That's why it's so hard. That's why 100%. it's so hard. Yeah, I mean, you feel like, talking about feeling like a failure. I mean, my uh, my parents had been, the, they're still together. And they've been together since they're 14 years old. Mm. And so, yeah, it just wasn't an option. Nobody in my family, I mean, nobody close to me had gotten divorced. You know, mm-hmm. no grandparents or anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I fought hard to try to not fail at it. And that was actually, in hindsight, kind of stupid. I should have never married her. Oh, another thing is my dad told me not to marry her. <laughs> no way. Yeah. He Dang. said you shouldn't marry her. That's the straight shooter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's the same dad who's talking about Santa at age five. <laughs> he yeah. said you shouldn't marry. And I'm like, oh, I know better than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so uh, I, I certainly, I listen to what my parents have to say now. Very much so. And uh, I'm, I'm madly in love now. And nice. it's, uh, it, didn't, it, it took a lot of maturity to actually realize what love should look like. Mm. Um, and so... And how long have you been married now? Uh, two and a half years. Nice. Two and a half years, and we're about to have our first kid. Thank God I didn't have a, a kid with my first marriage. So Yeah, can you imagine? I've yeah, heard that that brutal. complicates things, yeah. It does, yeah. Well, you want to talk about mental health being a challenge. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, do you want to reveal your daughter's name? Yeah, daughter's name is Numi. So N-O-O-M-I. And uh, it just came up because, uh, you know, about a year and a half into my relationship with my wife, we've been together a little over five years. And um, we were just watching this movie, and we saw that the actress's name was Numi. And she goes, I like that name. I said, me too. She said, well, if you have a girl, let's name it Numi. And, you know, one thing I've discovered later as to why I like that name it sounds Ooh. a little Ooh. like you're, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's along the line of uh, Muggs, Sweetest Boomer. sound is the sound of your own yeah, name. Yeah, That's yeah. what Dale Carnegie said. Well, it's not a name like Paul or Diane, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I would imagine. Uh, hopefully we'll have more kids. We'll see. But uh, uh, they will all have unique names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any of them going to be Muggs? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and what's cool, it's unique, but it's also simple. And it's spelled like it sounds. Yeah, it's just like it sounds. New me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that'll be cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. And congratulations, dude. of course. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. She's That's... going to look back fondly at the naming of her. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's why you did this, Paul. Yeah. I, I love the mission of your podcast. I know that when you were talking to Caroline, you were like, uh, you know, you kind of were like, oh, I don't know why we started it. But I, I, you made a good point, Daniel. I know where we got and I know where we are now. And it's about. Um, ensuring that you share your stories and that uh your story lives on yeah and isn't it so beautiful that we actually have these mediums now to be able to do it it's awesome yeah i mean you think just you know 
just a thousand years ago, you, you would have no way to do it. It's all word of mouth. Yeah. And then, uh, you know. Yeah. Every scrap of like what people did, how they spoke from a thousand years ago is precious to pe- to historians today. Yeah. And soon, like this time, uh, you know, people in the future digging through the artifacts of this time are going to have to dig through a bunch of, of noise, basically, because now it's an overabundance of yeah, information and recordings and like. Everybody's got a podcast. Unless you know, know, unless you know what you're looking for. Exactly. Like yeah. If, yeah. if if I'm new me, I know what I want to. Exactly. To this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll burn it on the CD. <laughs> get it on, get it on a cassette too. Now, is there a name for the new generation yet? Is newbie going to be? Because uh, Gen Z, you got the Zoomers. Yeah. And then well, uh, my kids. Yeah. Your kids. Is there a name for? Uh, I don't know. Huh? Where do you go from Z? Do you go to Double A? That seems weird. Seems like a bad choice. You call them the Numers. Oh, there you go. The wow. Yeah, Numi could bring in the Numi plus our podcast leads to a generation being made. Yeah, it's funny. I um, you know, talking about music being a songwriter, it's uh, I I'm already running in my head. It's like new me, and I'm like, oh, I can play on that. Like it's a new me. How about that? If you only knew me, you know. Oh man, there's there's tons. Like so, you can do a play on words and songs. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about songwriting, too. Um, being a songwriter, and the, Daniel, I'm actually going to pull it back. We were talking about the emotions and the emotions you're allowed to have. Mm-hmm. Why I love writing songs is because for some reason, when you write a song, every emotion's fine. Oh, yeah. That's it's so weird. It's like, okay, I've turned it into an art form so I can say whatever I want. Yeah. And you're not going to judge me. You're just being creative. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was actually just thinking about one of the songs I'm most proud of that we play now. It has a line when your pockets are full, it's hard to run. Mm. So let's pretend we're poor and let's have some fun. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like some fucking privilege right there. Right. Like, <laughs> look at me bitching about the fact that I'm upset that, that I, I, that I can't run anymore. Or I can't, you know, it's, uh, but then when I show it to other people, they're like, that's a beautiful line, right? And uh, it's just because it's how I feel. But, um, but you know, you think about that concept, and if you dissect it, it's like, well, that goes back to the comfort. I think what I'm saying is, like, I'm comfortable, so I feel like I can't run. I can't try new things because I got to preserve what I have. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the concept. But I guess it just, just bringing back the idea in my head of, wow, as, as, as a songwriter, you can say whatever you want. So maybe... Maybe that's why I like writing songs is there's no rules there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to criticize art or it's easy to criticize art, but it's hard to be like, that's not okay for art because it's just, you know, well, it's meant to be expressive too. Yeah. And there shouldn't be limitations on expression. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a safe place to do it. You can write a song and then you can say, I don't know why I felt that way when I wrote that. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And they're like, okay, well, you showed your vulnerability. It reminds me of like the, <laughs> the punk movement where it's just, there's so much emotion in that, in that genre. In oh, that, that's all that, it is, right? That generation. Yeah. And like, that was their thing. Music was their thing. And I don't know where else would that energy have gone? I, if not for music, you know? Mm. Oh, it would have been, um, riots on Capitol Hill. My, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just needed some music. They needed some some full spectrum emotion. Unfortunately, they they realize that Rage Against the Machine is they can't listen to that anymore because it's actually it's a different machine that they're raging against. <laughs> Great band wow. too, by the way. Yeah, that's nice. hilarious. All right, so you worked in corporate America for a bit. 
right? I did, yeah. yeah. And I, I started a business while I was in corporate America. Yes, you did. So about four years into uh, my corporate job at Capital One, yep. um, I decided I want to start a company. And my dad had gone through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I think I had told you about that. And he had recovered. But it, I saw something interesting when my dad recovered. And by the way, his process in non-Hodgkin's was tough. He had to have stem cell therapy. They um, you know, took the healthy stem cells out of his blood, give him extremely high doses of chemo, mm. and then they put the healthy stem cells back in. And his body just starts from scratch. Like his hair grew back a different color. It was crazy. That is crazy. Mm. And um, my mom became his caregiver, right? So she was helping him do everything, like go to the bathroom and shower. You know, stuff that... It changes the whole dynamic of husband and wife relationship. And I saw that happen, and I knew I wanted to start a company. And, and in seeing that, that what happened, I realized that if my mom had somebody to come help, that they could have kept their same dynamic. Right. Um, and somebody to come help them with those personal care things. So I decided to start a home health care business and uh, where you know caregivers come in and help you do the everyday things that you and I might take for granted. And, uh, but I was too afraid to leave the corporate world because, and one of the reasons I think I was so afraid is because the people I was talking to, and you've talked about this, Paul, you talked about, I want to get a better podcast. Talk to podcasters. Yeah. Don't talk to the people at work. Right. Right. But I was starting to be an entrepreneur, but I was talking to people that were work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Last people like in the world. Like you're at Capital One and I'm talking about this and they're like, oh, that sounds risky, man. You got a good thing going here. <laughs> you know? So They're projecting their stuff. Yeah, they're here. projecting. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I do have a good thing going on. I'm making over a hundred grand at 26 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think. Um, so I decided to start the company while I was at Capital One. And I, I learned two really valuable lessons. One. If you try to do two things at once, the best you're going to do is mediocre, both of them. And uh, I think that, you know, the, the most important lesson I learned was probably from our, our, our clients. Um, so we were, we were carrying on seniors. And if you want to figure out the right way to do something, talk to people that have already done it. And I think we often forget that a lot as human beings, that we should really be talking to the people that lived life already and say, hey, what do you wish you had done? What do you, what do you regret? And sometimes you don't even need to ask. You just got to listen. Yeah. And I was forced to listen because if a caregiver called out and I couldn't find a backup, I'm there. And so I was... I was I remember sitting on couches like watching Married with Children, whatever's on the TV show after work and caring for the clients. But then a lot of times having conversations and I found themes in what seniors would tell me is that nobody I ever talked to regretted something they tried and failed at. Only regrets they ever had were things that they never tried. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, we got this backwards. Right? Yeah. The real risk in life is not taking a risk. And Daniel, I think I might have told you this as a pep talk when uh, oh, when you were sure. going for your job, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's I, and it's so important to me. I try to share. You've probably heard me tell this story multiple times, Paul, because it's just so life changing for me. Is this realization? And I feel like it's it's not as deep, but it's like the realization of the guy that was drinking Mountain Dew and decided to be a Navy SEAL. For me, I was like, I am looking at life the wrong way. 
not taking a risk is the risk. And so I said, okay, I did, I had it backwards. First I was talking to the wrong people and I should have gone all in. And luckily things worked out. So Capital One laid me off because I was doing a sh- First of all, I sold my business when I got divorced. So I've oh, talked okay. about the divorce. Yep. Usually I don't tell that part because then I have to get into the divorce. But now you guys have heard about the divorce. <laughs> Boom. So the reason I sold the company was because in divorce proceedings, she said the company was worth like this huge number. And I said, it's not. And so how do you find out? You sell it. So I sold it and I sold it for significantly less than all the money I'd put into it. And by the way, I had worked six years in the company and never paid myself anything. Mm. So physically or financially, it was a loss. What I learned over those six years was just immense. Not just the thing I just told you, but you know, I learned everything from accounting to a little bit of sales. Well, actually a lot of sales. Yeah. Um, and, but then I sold the company. And right after I sold the company, I say right after a few months later, I had just gotten divorced. The uh, Capital One laid me off. And they should have. I was doing a shitty job. Because um, my heart wasn't in it. And uh, almost serendipitously, uh, Don Busick, who's who's in the band with me, that I'm in now. Yeah. And I worked with the Capital One. Great guy. Yeah. Awesome dude. He, uh, he said, I want to introduce you to Rob Finnegan, who I've already said his name earlier, and you're going to interview him here soon, right? Yeah. And... Uh, Rob asked me to meet him for breakfast and he told me about this idea for a business. And uh, I'm going to take like 10 months and I'm going to condense it into one conversation for the sake of the story. Okay. If that's okay with you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, hey, let's do this thing. And he said, listen, me and Scott, who's our third partner, he said, we're going to give you stock options. We're going to give you a good salary. And, uh, and you can start this company for us. Right? We're doing our own thing. They were consultants. They said, you can start this company for us. And I said, that sounds really generous. Remember, I'm condensing 10 months into one conversation. <laughs> yeah. I said, that sounds really generous, but that doesn't sound like all in. Um, so I looked in, in my phone, and I opened up Mint. And I asked Rob and Scott, how much money are you guys each putting into the business? And they told me. And it happened to be like $1,000 less than all the money I could pull together. And, and I was like, the world is taught. The like, universe like 401K, is talking. 401k. Yeah. Like as much as you can, you can't take the whole 401k, but as much yeah. as I could to get it together. Um, and so I said, if I put the same amount of money as you guys in, can I be an equal partner? And they said, sure. Um, huge baller move. Huge. Well, I learned the lesson. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a good feeling that I would, was more likely to regret not doing that than doing it. And so I just went all in. And, and as soon as I did that, failure wasn't an option, right? And that was mm. the greatest gift was, okay, now you got to figure it out, man. Little failures along the way, but not the big failure. Yeah, 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 yeah. not the big failure. Right. Oh, there are failures every day. Yeah. And honestly, to tell you, I never doubted if we were going to, I mean, every day I was like, oh, maybe we just shouldn't do it. I mean, I didn't tell Rob, but I was like, Maybe this thing isn't going to work. <laughs> but then in the same day, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, this is going to work. You know, and it was just yeah. the, this whole yo-yo of, um, and, and, and even when I said maybe it's not going to work, it was just me exploring mentally, is it okay if this doesn't work? And then I'd always get to know it's not okay. Okay, it's going to work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of you test yours. I think we all do this, right? I know sometimes we'll state extreme things in our head and say, Okay, how does it feel to say that? 
no, that's not it. Yeah. And then you go to the other one. Mm. Sometimes we say it out loud. Sometimes we just do it in our head. Mm. Um, but And had you been just uh, an employee with stock options that they had hired, all of those internal dialogues would have gone totally differently. And if- Oh, it could have meant, hey, yeah, it's not going to work. See you guys. Yeah. Right? And so it, it really was mutually beneficial, I think. It was great for all three of you. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, and so it's uh, it's just been a great journey. Being a business owner, I I am so passionate about entrepreneurship. I, I try to find a reason to. And you've probably seen this, Daniel. <laughs> like, did, wasn't I talking to you about, oh, yeah. hey, why don't you start your own company? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to throw this on everybody. I'm like an e- evangelical about startups. But uh, yeah, you tell people that work at your your business to go start their own businesses. Like, that's the level of evangel. You know, yeah, evangelism. that's the level of passion I have. I, I'm, I'm constantly telling the people we work with, hey, do you, are you starting to think about that business? You know? And hopefully we'll get to a point where maybe I could be an investor. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and you know nice. these people. Yeah, and and like they say, the investment happens. In, you invest in people. Oh, hundred percent. You invest in people. Yeah. If you don't find the right people, I mean, um, and you know, we've got Paul. Paul's a big reason why this company is doing well. Tried to get you, Daniel. It didn't work. Um, but I, I uh, think he was too big time for us. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, speaking of people, I'm going to throw some names at you and okay. get your one or two sentence uh, response to the name. Andrew Mock. He's a ton of perseverance. And he never gives up. And he's a great dude. Oh, just a great person. He strikes but, me as a but loyal I'm guy. Thinking, I'm thinking oh, mm-hmm. a loyal guy, mm-hmm. super loyal, um, great attitude. And I think with him, and he was on the podcast, so... He's the guy I was referring to with yeah. the hunter. <laughs> um, his attitude. He chooses his attitude. And uh, he's super high EQ as well. Yeah. He understands how the people around him are feeling. And then he just doesn't give up. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't procrastinate at all. He says, oh, that needs to get done. I've got it done. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, super awesome, too. Yes, he is. And we'll say Doc Tuna because he loves his nickname. Yes, Doc yeah, Tuna. absolutely. All right. I'm going to throw Lindy Heffernan at you. Oh, she's someone who puts her entire self into everything that she does. She is so passionate and um, in a wonderful way puts her emotions into everything she touches. Like you can tell that it really means a lot if what she did was a good job. Yeah. And she doesn't let anything fall. Never? No, never. And she has to essentially run the whole company. She does a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> Was she a guest on the show? She uh, she won't do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, we need to get her on the show. I've, I've been trying for a while now. Yeah. I'll, I'll eventually get her. No, she's just, she's phenomenal. And you can see, she's a person where you see the emotion on her face and you're like, she really cares. Are you ready for another one? I, I guess. I didn't know this was happening. Yeah, I didn't either. I just kind of made it <laughs> okay. up. In Jerry Kershaw. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're just calling out just phenomenal high performers at the company. Yeah. Is that what you're well, doing? They've been around for a while, yeah, yeah. too. They, they were there, not at the beginning, but they've been there a long time. They're generation one. Uh, I would say she's a person that just doesn't realize how amazing she is. Um, she doubts herself, I think, a lot more than she needs to. Yeah, yeah, she does. She just, she is so capable, so sharp, so fucking sharp. And yeah. She sees things very quickly. Um, and uh, just needs to see herself the way everybody else sees her. Yeah. She'll get there. Yeah. She'll get there. 
All right, last one. Jamie Mollick. Oh, Jamie Mollick. He's a guy who, uh, with a couple drinks in him, is <laughs> a lot more fun than without drink. No, no. Jamie Mollick is a super sharp guy. He talked. He was on your podcast, oh. and I mean, I think he got a perfect sixteen hundred on his SATs. Did he, I know he got eight hundred in math, like you did, because yeah. you two were the only two that got eight hundred on the on the math part. Of Mila the got an eight hundred on that. Oh, that's right. There's three of you. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I forgot. Um, yeah, maybe he didn't get six hundred, but I mean, what he got a PhD when he was twenty three years 20 old. Twenty something. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I mean, super brilliant. Except he um, doesn't know Irish geography. And Oh, and I heard Irish about history. that. That's going yeah. around. A lot of people are talking about how they messed up the Irish geography. He wouldn't tell anybody that he was on the podcast because he screwed up Irish geography. <laughs> it seems like a little ridiculous reason yeah, to, just to do people, that. But yeah. Just tell people about it. Yeah. Super brilliant. Don't play trivia with Jamie. But uh, you know what's great about Jamie? Super genuine. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you if yeah. you get in a conversation with him and ask him questions, uh, he will just tell you who he is. And uh, I think it's awesome. Makes you want to be around them. Let's end this with uh, you talking about your wife, Claudia. Ah, thank you for that, Paul. Um, One thing I just love about my wife is that she's so curious about everything. And you know how a lot of people are just like, I'm going to come in and I've made up my mind. She's a person that I feel like is constantly listening to every input she gets and is not stubborn in a way where, hey, I'll change my mind. Okay, you, you give me this? Yeah, that makes sense. And I'll change my mind. And, you know, I look at her with her friends, and I think that's a great indication of a person, right? And she is just the moral support and the kind of leader amongst everybody that she interacts with. And and that's true with me, too. She's just so cool about everything. And she also will tell me the truth. I did this exercise recently where I asked uh, the people closest to me, what do you think are the five most important things to me? Um, So it gives me a perception on how they think, I think, place importance on things. Claudia said that uh, work was number one and family was number two. And it didn't hurt my feelings. And just even the way she was being sincere. She was being sincere. um, That's hit me, actually, this was just a week ago. And so it's her way of not being like, she's not going to pound it into my head and nag me about it. But it's like, you asked me a question. Here's how I perceive it. And it gives me the ability. I think she realizes influence, the power of influence. Is it for it to be the other person's idea? Yeah. And it makes the other person feel so much better about it. Um, but she's just supportive in everything. My biggest fan, which is just makes me feel great, uh, and I'm her biggest fan. So it's a great. Thing. Not that everybody on this podcast wants to hear about my <laughs> wife, but well, your she's she's amazing. your daughter will love to listen to this someday. Oh, you talk, thank you talking about thank your you. wife. That's very thoughtful, Paul. Yeah, I try to be every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys, you guys got a great thing here, and the fact that it it feels like a very selfless um, thing that you're giving to the world. So thank you for that. Very cool. That's we a great, that. great notion to end on, Boomer. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I uh, had a good time. I enjoyed drinking bourbon with you. Absolutely. I, I wish Daniel would maybe drink a little bit of bourbon, but it's fine. <laughs> it's no big deal. I'll loosen up someday. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Boomer. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Take this broken wings and to fly All
guitar player. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com. Thank you.